to From Believing to Being, a podcast about pursuing meaningful spirituality after faith deconstruction. We're your hosts. I'm Karen. And I'm Dave. We're two former evangelicals having an ongoing conversation about what life and spirituality look like after letting go of our religious beliefs. Join us as we discuss deconstruction, Christianity, mysticism, enlightenment, and consciousness, And most importantly, how to experience this new way of being in the midst of parenting, careers, and going about our everyday lives. If you've recently left your faith or simply feeling pulled into a deeper way of being, we hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you and really just reassure you that you're not alone on this journey. All right. So here we are, Karen and Dave officially connecting to talk about spirituality. Uh, You know, we are both deconstructed evangelical Christians, also referred to as ex-evangelicals. And we're really here today to just talk a little bit about our experiences, offer up whatever experiential wisdom and insight we can to to help others out there, because we know know there's a lot out there. Uh, We know you're out there, and we know it's a hard journey. So yeah, that's what we're here to do. And for now, we just wanted to, I guess, talk a little bit more about us. And my name is Dave and Karen is with me. And we're just going to kind of introduce how, how we connected and talk a little bit more about our journeys and how we found spirituality through this whole process. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Um, so glad that you found us here. I am Karen. I live in Northern New Mexico and Dave and I actually got connected on the Exvangelical but still Christian Facebook group. We had a mutual friend connect from there connect us, and somehow we realized that our stories were very similar. I think that it was because this is what it was. It was the the mystical thing. We in this yep. uh, in this group, they had asked, you know, how did you come to start your deconstruction journey and you and I both commented that we'd had some mystical experience which was different than everyone else who had said cognitive dissonance or you know they were upset about Trump getting elected or something like that mm-hmm. right so yep. what was yeah. so tell everybody what, what exactly that mystical experience was and and kind of how or why that was so enlightening or different from your previous experience as a Christian. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, right. So we, yeah, we connected through that group. We, we realized yeah, through this mystical kind of connection that, Oh, Hey, we, we both had a shared connection. We started to realize we had a lot of similar teachers in, in interest. And so, yeah, the, and then we just kind of flowed and, and realized that, yeah. Um, Spiritually speaking, we we're on we're on this journey together, and we both have probably similar passion and continuing to pursue it. And so it's it's really neat to have someone that'll uh, have those those crazy deep conversations. So hoping to hoping to bring that to uh, all the listeners out there. Um, but yeah, so to your question, it's commonly you know called mystical experience or awakening, right? I mean. I don't know when it was happening. I don't know that I would, I wouldn't have called it a mystical experience. Frankly, I didn't know what a mystical experience was, um, Same. <laughs> but I, I knew it was a seriously spiritually enlightening type of experience. Not that, Oh, I'm enlightened all of a sudden, but I knew like, 
something was shifting inside of me that was just a completely different perspective on everything. Right. I, I remember I, I, so I'm married. Uh, my wife is Liz. We have, we have two kids and uh, uh, well, now we have two kids, but at the time we, we'd been married a couple of years and I honestly, like, I think she was afraid. She's like, what is with you? You know, like I was just in a cloud all the time. Like, oh, uh, like just to- all of my, what I cared about was totally different. Like I was fortunate to still be working in my job because I just was like, oh, none of this matters. Like it was just really interesting, but it was this undercurrent of just bliss. Like everything was just good. You know, that there was nothing that could throw me off of just feeling really happiness, um, but happiness from a place that was like, had nothing to do with what was going on. So, so were you a Christian when you got married? I mean, if you were like, you're already supposed to be blissfully happy and peaceful, right? <laughs> Cause you know, Jesus, like, so what were you, so how long had you been a Christian leading up to this experience? So let's see a, you know, I could speak for hours about my, how my journey has ebbed and flowed. Cause I grew up in a really conservative evangelical Christian home. My parents wanted to be missionaries. Uh, I shouldn't say they wanted to be missionaries, but they had the call to the missions field when I was 13, 12 or 13. And, and I was, it kind of threw me off a lot cause I, w- I wanted nothing to do with it. They were um, wanting to go to China to be missionaries over there. And so I, I pushed back heavily, heavily, heavily. And they finally decided to change their mind uh, or de- delay their, their move to, to China. And so I just kind of, I had my prodigal phase, I called it where, you know, basically between a teenager to my mid twenties, I just didn't really care for Christianity. I, I always had this undercurrent of spirituality that was, I always knew was there kind of dormant mostly but it, it really woke up in me uh, in my mid twenties, just through some, some hardship in life, like it tends to. Right. And so I got really involved in church, like really involved probably six years ago now, uh, roughly six or seven years ago. So before, so I had been involved pretty heavily with my church for probably about four years at the time. Uh, so my story is interesting like that. I, I, I didn't really, grow up like immersed in the church, like, like so many in the deconstruction community, I found it as an adult and got really, really into it. Then, you know, through one thing leading to another, which we can talk about more later, it it just didn't, didn't resonate with me as much anymore. And yeah, and that it's honestly how, how I led to a mystical experience was through my own deconstruction out of evangelicalism. So. Okay. Interesting. I was just going to say what, like, was there something that triggered the mystical experience or did it really just you woke up one day and everything was different yeah no it was uh it was that it was exactly that that's it was part of my deconstruction and that's where to go back to what you mentioned of how we really first connected and we're like huh there's something we should we should uh talk more about this and, and see where it goes and here we are you know uh talking even more deeply about this but i had I was going through this really pretty good apologetic study at my church talking about the seven big questions of, of uh, Christianity. You know, is there a God, is the Bible reliable? Is Jesus really God? 
is Christianity too narrow? <laughs> and I, and I kid you not, like when I went into that, I was like, Oh, no problem. Yeah. I can answer all these questions. I'm a good Christian boy, whatever. I was leading groups. I was, uh, I was leading literally a handful of these groups and I, I found halfway through, I was like, I can't answer these questions. I don't, I don't know if I believe these things. And, and it just really unfolded for me where I just was really like, Oh, I don't, I don't believe this stuff. Right. I believe in God, or I believe in a higher power or whatever you call it, but I don't believe in this stuff. And, you know, one thing led to another and just, I think truly by my coming to terms with letting go of that, it seemed to just trigger that, that mystical experience. At least that's that's how I put two and two together. But as far as I know, it was spontaneous is how I usually describe it. Just kind of just kind of happen of, of no will of my own. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Phil Drysdale. So mm-hmm. we're recording this on what November 16th, 2021. And Phil Drysdale just recently posted something on Instagram. He's kind of a big Instagrammer mm-hmm. in the deconstruction yep. group groups. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just posted something saying that asking the question, is it true? Mm. Seems to be like this match that lights a fire if you are willing to go with Mm. it, Mm -hmm. you know? And it kind of sounds like that's what happened with, you you know, with all of these Mm. seven questions. Is it really, it's so easy when you're surrounded by people who are believing the same things as you and and that just that that group energy, to to go with it and but as soon as you take it for yourself and really internalize it like do I actually believe this is this really true if you let yourself sit with that question long enough I mean that was that was my story that is this true that was the exact question that spent I mean that was the foundation of my mystical experience too so that's interesting Mm -hmm. so you your mystical experience was just getting shifted into this place of utter bliss and that was unrelated to your, the answer that you would have come up with these questions, but do you think it was the, the letting go of the need for answers that, that, that allowed you to enter that place? Yeah, I think it could have been. Yeah. I, I think it was not to get too esoteric, new age, <laughs> spiritual. Uh, <laughs> That's but, for later. But, yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. We'll get there, <laughs> but no, uh, you know, it's a, a shift in consciousness is, is the best way, you know, I mean, we were talking before we hit record, we we were talking about spiral dynamics a little bit. Right. And, and that's really it. I I mean, you know, obviously spiral dynamics is a theory, right. Integral theory. Like uh, these aren't things that we can say with absolute certainty that this is how spirituality operates, but there's a lot of basis for it in experience. Right. And that, that was my experience is that like, through the letting go of this rigidity, this like certainty, kind of like you, like you said, this certainty worship that, that seems to be so common with, with the evangelical and other conservative religions, it, it was, it, it did kind of in hindsight, right? At the time I had no idea, but in hindsight, it did seem kind of like there was this popping up into a new way of being a new consciousness. Did you feel like, so after that happened, so how, how long did that, like, how long did you go on in this, like, oh, the world is great and like mystical, blissful fog? I think it was probably like two weeks. So, you know, a lot of mystical experience journeys I hear about are like, 
very brief, right? Could be five minutes. It could be an hour. It could be a day. So I was fortunate that it stuck with me for a couple of weeks. I remember very specifically saying, I hope this never ends. And it's funny, like, it's almost like as soon as that thought creeps in is the beginning <laughs> of the end. All right. But, but yeah, so it was a couple of weeks and then, you know, it was really hard. People talk about dark night of the soul and it could mean a lot of different things to different people, but I definitely think of it as kind of a dark night of the soul after I went through that experience where like reintegrating into like a normal way of being after you've reached that kind of state. Uh, it was really hard. <laughs> it was really hard. It was hard to find meaning and purpose in life after, after something like that. Did that cause you to not want to go back to church or were you already out of church at that point? Or did you feel drawn back into church? It's like, Oh, this is a possible place for me to find it again. Like what was your, what was mm. your relationship around church after all of that? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So my deconstruction unfolded, it was still unfolding, frankly. Um, but it, it, it unfolded very quick at first, but then also like a slow burn. And I would say I stayed in the closet for um, probably about a year after it. So, oh, wow. so again, I, if you remember back to the beginning, so this was, this all happened um, about two and a half years ago. So not that long ago, long enough ago that I can look back on it, not attached. Right. And so it was the beginning of 2019. I was super involved in my church leading groups. Like it was so important to me. Like I, and it wasn't like a badge of honor thing. Like I just was really passionate about the church um, and, and advancing ministry, especially with community. I really, I personally benefited a ton from small groups. So I, I went through this initial deconstruction where I'm like, ah, I don't think that God's going to send people to hell. I think that God is not limited to Christianity. Like those are really my two big things, but I kept those quiet <laughs> for a while because I mean, that was not the church that I was at was not, those were the things, right. That was mm -hmm. the, that was the statement of faith. And so I kind of stayed in the closet for about a year and I, I kept being involved and I had a ton of good friends with that church. Like I said, I met my wife at that church. <laughs> so it was a very meaningful church. So I stayed in the closet for about a year and still enjoyed it. But there was definitely like, I remember Easter that year. <laughs> oh man, we did a good Friday service and I was just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I, not, not to take anything away from it. You know, at the time I was just like, I just don't, I, I can't, resonate with with all this stuff right it's, it doesn't mean anything to me where i'm at now and that was kind of the theme for about a year where I, I continue to stay there for the community and i know that that's probably the most consistent thing i hear right is that people miss the community element of their church so i stuck around for that i milked it for all it was worth and then i got to a point where i was convicted i was like i need to come clean with this uh, and I, so i did i started to tell some people well, close friends first and then i broadened it and Honestly, as soon as the cat got out of the bag, it just, it was bad. <laughs> so I had to see my, see my way out. And now I haven't stepped foot back in a church for probably a year ish. It's interesting. I mean, it does seem like that's a really common theme for everybody, right? Is it like when you're immersed in a church community, the, the loss of that in some ways seems almost more significant for people than the loss of their faith, which mm. I find so interesting because it just makes it just makes it so clear that the faith part is almost like your 
entrance to belonging, mm. right? That that's like the yeah. guarantee that you're going to, that you're going to belong at least on the surface. I mean, I think we all know people who go to church all the time and would say they belong with a Christian faith, but they don't actually feel like they are plugged into a community. And that was what I experienced was that I desperately wanted to belong to a church and we had moved here to our town um, back in 2011 because we had, we had left everything of our whole life in California. And then we ended up in New Mexico. I didn't know anybody. I was pregnant with our first kid. And because of my past experience with church, because I had been really enmeshed in a community in high school and college and a little bit after that, I was just like, okay, well, the way to, the way to make friends, especially you know, now that I'm going to be a new mom, the way that I know to make friends and to build community is through a church. I felt like I got to meet like half the town through going to different mm-hmm. churches, but it always felt like there was some barrier that I couldn't cross that that on the surface, you know, we all believe the same things. We all were talking the same talk, but I kept trying to get into groups and I couldn't break in. And so it's funny because mm-hmm. you and I sort of have different experiences like that, that I was really involved in, in churches in different ways, like going to women's Bible study and helping with Sunday school and all that. But I never felt like I really connected to, to anybody there. And So it was funny because I had started like right before my deconstruction, I had been bouncing around desperate for a church home. So wanting to find that nurturing community. And so for me, it was the loss of my faith felt like a, like I didn't know who I could be anymore without my faith, just like this total loss of identity. But my loss of community actually didn't feel that significant because I wasn't I was never able to like break into those, into a church group at the same level. So one of the things that led to my, that was sort of, I don't know, you know, you can look back now and you can sort of see hints of where your deconstruction, like where it was all sort of starting to come together. We were in a, I was in a women's Bible study and, you know, I was trying so hard to fit in and we were talking about judges and about this guy that had been so awful. This guy had like gone and you know, he would drive villages into a tower and then light the tower on fire. And he did this multiple times, just killing, you know, thousands of people. And at the end, the way that he dies is he, you know, he pushes all these people into a tower and then they push a millstone off the top of the tower and it lands on his head and he dies. That's how God got his justice. Like, and we were reading this and studying it. And there's a Jen Wilkins study. And everyone's like, oh, and, uh, you know, and, you know, God just redeemed his people. I said, are you kidding me? That's it? That was God's justice? Like this guy killed thousands of people. You know, to be honest, I don't think God did enough. Like that was like, I think that God, you know, dropped the ball on that one. And all the women in the Bible study just turned and looked at me like, are you questioning God? Hmm. And it was just like crickets across the room. And I thought, does no one else see how unfair this is? But it was just like, for me at that moment, I thought I can't come back here. Like, like I'm not accepted here. I'm not welcome here. They, there's, not, there's not room for any other way of thinking other than the group think. And so anyway, long story, just to say, you know, I was one of the ones that was desperately trying to get that community that you're talking about. And for some reason, it just never like it was, I was always on the outside. 
you know, I was never in like one of the little cliques or anything. I was always just like wandering around the outside. So in that sense, my deconstruct, my loss of community was definitely not as significant as it sounds like yours was. Plus my husband is an atheist. So I'm sure that is different. <laughs> I think if, I think if he had been Christian, he probably would have, you know, managed to break through some of those barriers and be one of those couples in the small group. You know, it's interesting you say that. Um, I was just having a conversation about this with my wife 10 minutes ago. Well, maybe not 10 minutes ago, but, but an hour ago. We're talking about some friends of hers that just recently are experiencing this, where they want to get involved in church and a community, but they can't find it because they don't fit the right mold. And mm. how sad is that, that that these churches tend to be built around like you got to fit the mold and for example these both these people happen to be single parents um uh, yes. and being yes. a single parent um there's not it's not really a place for you to fit in here um mm. obviously they would never say that but that's that's a lot of times how it ends up coming across um so that it, it's interesting right that this kind of click like nature of, mm -hmm. of some of these church communities it's one of those things that you don't really like you don't really think about until you get outside looking in you're like oh yeah huh that wasn't mm -hmm. uh that wasn't very healthy <laughs> yeah you know there was this one church that I because I kind of bounced around trying to find the community there was this one church here that I fell in love with them I mean they it was unlike any church that I had been to they were actually they would take prayer requests at the beginning of the service and people in the, you know, people in the, the audience or whatever would raise their hand and say, I need prayer for this. And right then and there, the entire church would stop and like someone would walk over to them and lay hands on them and pray for them right then and there it was just a natural part of the service. They had this young kid, it's like 19 year old kid leading worship. And there was just something just like magical about when he would lead worship. It was, so, it was so good. It felt like I had so many spiritual insights when I was there and it was, I felt like, okay, maybe this is it. And then one day the pastor is talking about people who are unequally yoked, right? Which was me married to an atheist, like went into my marriage knowing that and chose it. And he talked for like, God, it was 10 minutes, talked about how awful it was for a person to be in an unequally yoked marriage and how it mm. was like, the worst wasn't, he didn't say it was the worst to sin. I mean, he might as well have said that, but he was just talking about that. It was like the worst possible situation for a Christian to be in. Mm. And I had mm. to get up and walk out and I felt like he ruined it. I was like, I was uh -huh. having this really beautiful experience in your church and you totally ruined it because you clearly showed me one, you have no interest in my experience. Have you actually talked to people about this? And two, that there's say that, Oh, God has a purpose, you know, when a a purpose for everything and whatever. And yet clearly you don't believe that God could bring together an atheist and a Christian. And so I just got up and walked back and then I never went back. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's like the thing that so often becomes the, one of the most important things it, it, it seems like at least for the evangelical is you're either with us or you're, you're not, you're either in or you're out. There isn't, there isn't this like spectrum of belonging. It's, it's black and white. You know, I, I just find myself pondering the why of that more, you know, what, 
what is it, you know, if you were to ask people still really in it and feeling that way, right. That it's like, like that pastor, but what would be the why and really inquire into that. That's kind of the way that I've started to think more is what, what is the emotion underneath that? And ordinarily I, I feel like it's fear, right? There, there's yeah. some semblance of fear that says, this is just what we need to do or else, mm-hmm. right? Or else something bad is going to happen. There, there's this insecurity about being a human being that then there, there has to be these rigid walls built because of it. Yeah, it just think, it ends up hurting people. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I would, I would definitely say fear. And on this side, this side of it all, I, I can see the fear more clearly. But something that I found interesting for myself was that Christianity, like when I found Jesus, so I was, I got saved when I was like 11, 12, like junior high-ish. When I found Jesus, it felt like it filled this massive void in my life. And I think for a lot of people, there is something about religion that satisfies a deep need, whether it's belonging or acceptance, love, you know, or even just like what you're saying, that there's this, as soon as you acknowledge the right belief in some, in some churches, you know, you get swept in and embraced, you get plugged in. And all of a sudden, whereas before, you know, maybe you didn't have a good, strong family background, or you didn't have many friends, or you would always kind of felt like an outcast. You say the, you know, you say the Jesus prayer and you tell somebody and you get baptized. And all of a sudden, There's people calling you, there's people inviting you to things, there's people welcoming you into the fold. And it's so, gosh, it's just such a good feeling. And I think like you can even, now that I understand a little bit more, right? Like you, you start to tell yourself stories about what Jesus is doing in your life or like about what the, what being in the church means. You start creating all these meanings and purposes for yourself you start to feel like you have a purpose right there's so I was in the southern baptist church and everybody was always talking about their calling are you called Mm. to be a pastor what do you what is God calling you to do right there's always this sense that God is constantly trying to talk to me and if I could only just like figure out what he's saying then I could have this amazing life you know and so I think that like there is then what that turns into though like the flip side of that is the fear of losing it and so even like, kind of like what you were saying with your experience, you know, you stayed in the closet about it for a while because you probably knew that mm-hmm. as soon as you breached that, you know, that trust of the right belief, then everything that you had had was going to fall away. And I mm-hmm. felt like that with my, I mean, when I, when my, I had my mystical experience, my thing was like, I did not know how to be anymore. Like I, I mean, I had based my entire life around this identity of being a Christian and studying the Bible and being really, being really deeply into scripture and just this super passionate investigator and into my faith. And then you take that away and it's like, what, what's left. And so that was, that was my fear you know, after my mystical experience was like, if I go all the way into this, I I don't know what's going to become of me. Hmm. Hmm. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about post 
post deconstruction, if we could mm. use that word, because, you know, I, we've both been, I guess, when, when did you, when did you say, when would you say you officially started deconstruction? My deconstruction was definitely kicked off like with a bang um, in November of 2019. Okay. So just like six, six months or so after, after your mystical yeah. experience, yeah. I hit my, so, yeah. so it was same, it's about Perfect. two years. So yeah, so right. So we've been, been in about two years, which is funny. So some people listening might be like, oh man, these, these baby, these baby <laughs> ex-evangelicals right. and, you know, others might be saying, oh man, like that's, that's a little bit more time than me. Uh, and so it's just kind of neat there. There's clearly something happening broader within the world that's leading to more people asking that question. What did you, what did you say? Is this true? Mm-hmm. Man, what a good question. But I want to ask the big question uh, as we talk about deconstruction, because you mentioned, you know, wh- what, it, what is, what does this all mean? Like, who, who, how do I connect with God now? Or I can't remember exactly how you worded it, but I think that's the question is like, is God right? Uh, so how do you now in, in this call it post deconstruction space, how has your understanding of God evolved? So after I had my mystical experience, which was not blissful like yours, I was really angry because I was, I was in the midst of writing a book and I was like neck deep in scripture when I literally heard a voice say, is this true? Is everything you're writing true? And it felt like, I can't explain why that was different than other times when I myself had asked those questions. I don't know if I was just ready to hear it or if it was so like, it's literally felt like someone had looked over my shoulder and was reading my computer and then was asking me like, is that true? But it felt like I couldn't ignore it. It Felt like a calling out of all the doubts that I had had, like leading up to that point. And I was really, I was really angry. I was really angry that this book that I finally thought like my life project, you know, this book that I was writing had gotten interrupted And I was really angry that my doubts that I'd kind of been trying to hide and struggle through had been called out in such a just like obvious blatant way. And so I hit a point where I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. You want to do this, God? We're doing this. Like I am, you know, I've been dancing around this question of do you exist and is Jesus real and all of that? Like, you know what? We're doing this. And so I started listing out like all the things that my faith had told me to believe and that I had felt like I had to believe if I believed in God. Basically, I guess that was more of it. It It's like, if I believe in God, then these are the things that I have to believe. And at the end, I was like, I'm done. I do not believe this anymore. At the time, it literally felt like I was taking a knife and just stabbing, stabbing God. Like you would see in like a, you know, a horror film or something, just blood everywhere, (laughs) just stabbing God. And Uh at the end, I don't know if it was, now I can understand it as like an energetic release of sorts, but Mm. there was just this emptiness inside this utter free space like I could finally breathe, you know, it's like if someone is squeezing you really tight and they let go, there's a like, <gasps> that's mm. how it felt after I did that. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird. <laughs> like there's no emotion anymore. There's none of this angst. 
nothing, none of that. And so after that, I, like a month or so went by and I kind of started having this thought of, you know, why did we believe in, like, why do we even believe in a God in a, in the first place? I took it all the way back. I asked, you know, well, why do we believe in a God? Why do we believe in some sort of higher powers? Because we don't understand why we're here. Like how did humans get here? Why is there an earth? Like, why is there anything? Why is there something out of nothing? And so I was going all the way back to reading, you know, these like science papers about planetary cesspools and mitochondria developing. I mean, I was in it. And so with every step, I started thinking to myself like, okay, I am the product of this evolutionary adaptation of mitochondria, blah, blah, blah. Like I just, I had this whole string of things that I was trying to follow, which a scientist would probably laugh at my just ridiculous like determination of, of how things evolved, how things happened. But for me, I got to a point where I, I became agnostic. Like I could not, I could not say that this world that seems to make so much sense could have happened without something sensical also being involved somehow. And so through all of this, I, I got down to a point where I'm like, I cannot believe that it was all just coincidental. I could not make that leap. Even after all that I had read, I just thought I can't be atheist. And then I was reading some other stuff by these, you know, like Nobel prize winning physicists. And they were saying that they felt like the only position was to be agnostic because the universe was just so perfectly laid out that it didn't make sense to not believe that something else was going on. And so I got to this place of agnosticism, but the leap that I had a really hard time making was that leap to some sort of a loving or caring creator. Mm. Like I could accept that there was some higher power coordinating or some, some other thing out there. I think I ended up calling it divine creator or Mm -hmm. something, something like that. And I wasn't thinking God, like an evangelical God. I was just thinking some like creative force. That was the thing that shifted me away, that really shifted me away from an evangelical God to a more open concept was just, I would walk around and I would think, you know, I had this like little mantra of, you know, I am the product of this evolutionary thing initiated by a divine creative force. And so that's where I sat for a really long time um, before I started reading different books and kind of learning more about, you know, the old school mystics and the dark night of the soul and all of that. Once I started having that language, the mystical language and, um, and those people, then what I started reading about kind of gave me new ways of understanding this creative force that I guess now I would call like universal consciousness. I mean, I use the words divine love for a long time, but I couldn't, I, I had to get away from the term God because even now I just think of the like evangelical biblical God and it's, I, I can't, I still haven't been able to let go of that, that image. Mm-hmm. So I have to use, yeah. How about you? It's interesting that is uh it's a common theme right um you know i I still use the word god in some contexts but 
but usually only because I want to connect with people. <laughs> yes. That's what I, I was when, just going to say. That's when I yeah, do it too. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, when we I'm probably mean my, two very different things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, but again, it's language, right? I mean, any, any mystic or real deep spiritual guru, sage, whatever is going to agree that language is the primary limitation uh, to be able to understand the nature of things, the nature of reality. Um, yeah. So for me, a little bit more about me is that again, I've always been a keenly spiritual person. I remember when I was probably like 10, 11 or 12, I would see 11, 11 on the clock all the time, like all the time. And I was like, <laughs> that was like, there's something to this. And, and later I find like, that's actually a pretty common thing. And I, I, there's a word for it, but it's, it's a pretty common thing in spiritual more new agey spiritual circles. So that was, that happened there. Just other like one-off spiritual moments. And then I had some kind of spiritual awakening experiences well before I became an evangelical. I mean, there was, I don't recall exactly when the shift happened where I was like, oh, I think my parents were right. Like I should follow their religion. And (laughs) frankly, that's what got me into evangelicalism uh, in my, in my mid twenties which for the record, I'm very grateful of it. Uh, you know, meeting my wife had really good experiences, personal growth, all that. But, but yeah, so, so there was always this undercurrent where I was like, I knew that there was something more. I didn't necessarily know what was it, was it an external God like being that is engaging with me, with the world, obviously that more like the evangelical perspective. Right. So I, I didn't really know, but again, when I, when I got into the evangelical, that's where I was. That's, I, I believe that, um, God was, was separate out there and communicating with me and everybody and experiences of feeling a, a love that transcends what, what I could understand. That was a big experience for me that happened right around the time I was getting involved in the church. <laughs> uh, it was really mm-hmm. powerful. And again, I look back on it now. It's like, that was a spiritual awakening at the time. The language I had was, well, that was God talking to me right now. I would go back and say, Oh, um, this love that I felt was within me all along. I, I had this love there, this love that I so, so deeply desired was always there. And so, so that's kind of been my iteration is I've always sensed this deeper transcendent truth as, as uh, I've heard it called throughout. Right. But, but my views of God as like the source of this transcendent truth that is separate from us has, has evolved throughout the the last couple of years, especially where, you know, initially in deconstruction, I didn't really need to let go of, of that God. I, I let go of that God as like, you're not going to send people to hell God. And, and, you know, you would never do that. Like more like, I guess, a universalist um, Christian, except I didn't like the, I still don't really like universalism because I don't like the idea that there's anything that we need to be saved from in the first place. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, That's my gripe about universalism. But um, anyway, and so just really in the last probably nine to 12 months, call it a year, uh, is when everything has really been shifting again to the point where I started to find more language that resonated to where my, my inner knowing was, was coming in terms of 
the consciousness, I guess, really asking the question again, like, what is this? Right. And, and not really being comfortable with the idea that there's a God out there and, and I'm here and there's this separation. I, I just have been increasingly less comfortable with that. And I had this big moment of insight, which really cemented my shift into, again, more of this, call it non-dual spirituality, this non-dual philosophy, which, which again, that's something that, that Karen and I are very connected on with, with different philosophies and different teachers. But uh, I had this insight where I, I wrote out this little thing about what my, what my view of reality was. And it was just this little like few paragraphs about life being a dream and that we are living in a dream. You know, at the time I said it was God's dream and, and we are just part of it. And, you know, when we come to realize that we come to realize this beauty and this majesticness of the world. And I shared that little, like a few paragraphs online and someone was giving me a hard time about all of it. And he this person especially gave me a hard time about using the word majestic. I don't know if I've told you this before, but he he gave me a hard time about using the word majestic. And that this was in the morning on a work day and 20 minutes later, I'm driving to work and I see this, this big van that just has the word majestic on it. And I was like, (laughs) in that, I kid you not in that moment, I was like, all right, that's it. And, And, and I, and I've not really looked back since like, to me, to me, that confirmed like my, my searching towards this non-dual path is is what's right and and again let me be clear like i'm not saying that they confirmed like this is it i'm suddenly dogmatic that this is the nature of reality because i don't know right agnosticism i think is 100 Mm percent where it's reasonable to be like we don't know but what i find in life is if we look there are continual little breadcrumbs telling us to to go down this path Mm -hmm. and so the the path in my pursuit of of god and and spirituality and whatever words we want to use for it has been in that path now of, of, you know, more non-dual spiritual teachers with, you know, the Rupert Spira is, is a good one that, that is lesser known uh, in ex-evangelical circles for sure, but he's, he's becoming more popular. Uh, Eckhart Tolle is a big one. If we can pronounce his name, Nisargadatta Maharaj, right? Oh um, yeah, Nisargadatta. <laughs> yes, I mean these are these are teachers that yeah. You know, I feel like we're we're flipping here quickly, but but I think that's important, right? I, I mean, so here we were, these you know pretty devout evangelical Christians, and now we're, we're falling right into like what the fear of of evangelicals it, it tends to be is that when you step out of that rigidity, that structure, you fall into these like traps of, of Eastern mysticism and new age. And and to be honest, that's kind of where we've fallen. Right. But, but in a good way where it's, it's been so meaningful and resonated so deeply with, with um, call it our, our inner intuitive knowing. So that's where I've landed in, in terms of my, my views of God and of, a higher power is it's continually unfolding. And I guess I'll just say that I know that I am more a part of it. We are all a part of it more than I think we can quite realize, but that's part of the journey, right? It's continuing to, to see that unfold, to feel it, to experience it directly. There's so much, I feel like that we could unpack from what you said, but I want to, I want to 
uh, two things that popped up that I, I don't want to let go of because I feel like it's really important for other people to understand. So one of the things that I, that I was thinking about as you were talking is that as angry as I was after my deconstruction and after losing my faith, and I think you would probably say the same thing about, you know, how your deconstruction, like coming out to the church all went down. But I know that there are a lot of our listeners, you know, probably also can talk about how angry they, they were at the church or how abandoned they felt or whatever. The thing that I feel like is so interesting is I wanted nothing to do with my Bible. I wanted Mm. nothing to do with the evangelical God. I was even just like not really all that interested in talking about Jesus or thinking about Jesus for a while. But now what I, all I said, all I said about God earlier and where I am now with kind of, you know, thinking a little bit or more open to the idea of like universal consciousness and that sort of thing. I feel like there are moments when verses and things that Jesus said pop up in the back of my mind. And I have that moment of like, oh, this is what he was talking about. Like, Mm. and I have to say, like, I don't know, kind of funny is that reading the Saragadatta Maharaj, the I am that book was actually the thing that blew my mind open to another way of understanding Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that people who deconstruct have to come back around to Jesus. Like, I don't feel like that's necessary. You can totally dump Christianity completely, um, you know, baby out with the bathwater, like the whole shebang if you want to. But it's just funny to me that I can look back now, kind of what you were saying, I can look back now and say with a hundred percent certainty, my past was not wasted. And I feel Mm. like I couldn't always say that. And some days I can say it more easily than others, you know, but I mean, I was a Christian for 40, let's see, I was 11. So like 35 years of my life, I gave 35 years of my life to this faith. I was teaching it to my kids. I was worried about like, would my husband ever convert to my way of believing? You know, I shared the gospel with other people. Like you know, I did the door-to-door knocking thing when I was in high school and college. I was studying this. I was telling everybody that this was the truth. And then after deconstruction, there's this like embarrassment and shame of like, oh my God, I feel like such a fucking idiot. Like, I can't believe I believed that for so long. And mm. there can be an anger that you mm. lived this lie mm. for however, you know, however long of your, you know, of your lifetime. And I know people you know, who go to seminary, right? It's like they're, they're pastors or whatever. And they look back and they're like, holy crap. Like I just was telling all these people things that weren't true or things that were hurtful or harmful. But going back to what I was saying, I can look back now and I can see that it really was breadcrumbs. It was like all along, there was this whole other world, this whole other way of being and thinking that was there. But I, I didn't have the courage or I never was open to seeing it. Or, I mean, I know a lot of this, a lot of the spiritual teachers will tell you there's literally nothing that you can do until someone appears in your life to tell you about like to trigger an, you know, a spiritual awakening or that you have a mystical experience or, or something. I just think it's important to know that, you know, once you can see this, like, like you said, you know, deep universal truths, you start to see them everywhere. 
And you can even look back to your own faith tradition, or in your case, like non-faith tradition, and see where there were little things happening with like, oh, I can still relate to that particular moment or that particular teaching or that particular thing. So I just want to reassure people that it's totally cool and understandable to be angry and to hate Christianity and to never want to go back to it. But at the same time, I really hope that people can eventually get to this place where they can see that it wasn't, that it wasn't all a lie, that there, that that's like the, the underlying thing of all of these religions. It's like, there's kernels of truth in all of them. Um, mm-hmm. The other point that I want us to talk about more is that I've noticed in the deconstruction community that there are people who think, drop your faith and that's it. They like, they stop at atheism. They're like, all right, I don't believe in God anymore. I'm done with the church. And they stop at atheism. Whereas I feel like the difference with you and I is that we didn't stop at faith. Faith was like the first thing to fall away. But there was, for some reason, you and I kept going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious for you, like, what was it that made you continue to keep exploring like this whole idea of spirituality beyond your Christian experience? Yeah, it's a great question. Because yeah, I agree. I, I do see that where uh, I think of that anger that you mentioned that people are in, it, it's kind of a baby with the bathwater pervasively, right? Um, yes. Because again, to, to throw out Christianity for anyone that needs to hear it is absolutely no problem. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Christianity <laughs> yes. has value, Bible, of course. Like, let it go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, it's great. If it, if it works for you in a healthy way, great. There is, Mm -hmm, there is potent spiritual teaching in, in the book, in the tradition, there's great community as we all know, but it's not essential. It's not, it's not required. Mm -hmm. You know, there is, there's throwing out Christianity, but yeah, where I've struggled to understand is, is the throwing out of all, all spirituality, if I'm being honest, my criticism is that I think a lot of the Christianity that we've been handed doesn't have much spirituality. <laughs> it's certainty and it's, it's future orientedness that says, we're, you, you do this, you believe this for this to happen in the future. And what I found through my searchings at this point so far, I mean, a long ways to go, of course, and more to learn, but it's that it's much less about the future and more about right now, you know, what is unfolding now. And you don't hear that much in church. You don't hear that much in, in Christianity and evangelicalism. So, so I think that's that, that maybe. um, When you die, do you know for sure that you're going to go to heaven? Because it's all about the future. (laughs) Sorry, That's every single sermon, right? At the end, like the altar call. If yeah. you were to die today, do you know you would go to heaven? It's like, well, what about right here in this moment? Okay, sorry, I didn't, I, I didn't need it. No, no, no. I, I, I said that, I said that to one person uh, in my years as an evangelical, and um, it was actually my brother who um, 
you know, was like me and never really got involved in the church until I did get involved in church, of course. But, um, and then I, after I deconstructed and some of the start, stuff started to become clear to me, I actually went to him and I had to apologize. I'm like, dude, wow, I am so sorry. Like what I said to you, like, I know how traumatic that can be to, mm. for someone to put that fear on you. Cause that's what you're doing. Yeah. You're putting a fear into someone's mind that might not have been there in the first place. <laughs> right. Um, right. but, but anyway, so, so we digress, but, but yeah, as, as we talk about baby in the bathwater, the baby to me is a connection with something that is bigger than this, right. That is bigger than my life in, in respect of like, call it the ego. There is something there that I, I just so firmly sense and so that's where I've landed is, okay, so it was, it was, I don't want to say it's easy, but it was, it was a quick-ish process to, to let go of some of the rigid beliefs of Christianity. But then, yeah, the continual searching of like, okay, so if I don't believe in the same God, well, then what do I believe in? And continuing to search, not just throwing it out and just understanding, well, what do all these teachers say? You know, I found Alan Watts was huge for me because he would, he would use Christian language he, a, a lot, you know, go look on YouTube, listen to some of his videos. He uses Christian language all the time in a really powerful way. And so, so I had the luxury, like you just said, of, of how I am that the book helped you see some of Jesus's teachings in a different way. I had the luxury of that through Alan Watts. And that was actually pretty early on in my deconstruction where I was like, Oh, this is what Jesus was talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he talks about a verse in the book of John uh, trigger warning, by the way, uh, Bible verse here, but he talks about a book in the verse of John where, where they're calling out Jesus for blasphemy. And he says, he quoted Psalms and he said in the book, uh, have I not told you that you are gods? And Nobody talks no. about that, right? I mean, literally <laughs> right. Jesus, see, Jesus said this to people. He, he said, look, you are gods. That's what the book says. And, but nobody, nobody realizes that. And, and, and again, to be clear, do I think that we are gods? Um, no, but do I think that there is more to us that is connected to the God that people see in the Christian evangelical faith. Yes. I think there's a much deeper connection between us as humanity and uh, any form of, of transcendence. And that's really, I guess, what non-duality is, is pointing towards is, is that connection of what all of these religions are pointing to as God is really the same thing as what the column non-religious traditions are pointing to as uh, like you, you call it universal consciousness. There's so many words for it, but it's all a different way of pointing to the same thing. But that same thing is, is within each one of us. And it is just a continual unfolding in moment by moment. So that's uh, uh, maybe a, a bit of a digression, but my just interest in that and in, in continuing to unfold there and see how that unfolds has, has kept me highly motivated to keep, keep searching and keep reading about all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's, I know that your blog is the pondering elephant, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it totally makes me think about, you know, how many times in church I heard that, you know, that, that 
uh, image, right, of like mm -hmm. the elephant and people yep. describing different parts of it. It's like oh, the blind man, so yep. wrong. Yeah, the blind man. Exactly. Mm -hmm. How it's so wrong. And then now on this side, I'm like, mm, actually, it's probably a lot closer than you think. Um, yeah. yeah, my, I mean, I've always been huge into self inquiry, not so much like self development, but like really wanting to know and understand who I am, like what is going on with me, you know, whenever my deconstruction hit and my faith was gone. I mean, that was a massive loss of identity. I too, it, it's interesting because I do think that if we stick around, if you stick around in this space of it, like what else is out there, like still trying mm. to understand your place in this world, even if you don't call it spirituality necessarily, but if you don't just say like, chuck it all and like, I'm an atheist and that's my new identity and I'm done with all this. If you kind of are in that messy middle and you're willing to sit with it a little bit and do some more investigation, most of us probably tend to try to, tend to look to like our, our former faith. Like you said, like that language, right? It's what, it's what we're familiar with. And, you know, for me, I kind of started with NT Wright. I was looking for just like another way of understanding what I had believed. And I had a friend who specifically told me, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But what he did as well, he, he congratulated me. You know, I sent him this like long, just rambling email about how I had lost my faith and I didn't know who I was anymore and what was going on with me. And he responded, congratulations. This mm. is a great place to be. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> this is awful. This is horrible. But it was actually his guidance that was like, other people have gone through this. Like the great mystics have gone through this. And he was the one who introduced me to the idea of the dark night of the soul, mm. you know, told me about the cloud of unknowing. He told me, he was like, you know, read Thomas Merton, read Henry Nowen. And so they were from different faith backgrounds, like a Catholic faith background, right? But I was, I was really intrigued by this idea, like, oh, it's not a new thing. Like we're calling it, you know, now in this time and age, we're calling it deconstruction, but you can trace these experiences back thousands of years to people who, who left their religion behind and went through this experience of not knowing what they, what they believe, which is the dark night of the soul. So he kind of turned me on to those guys. And that was like, I started reading them. And again, like they're using this Christian, you know, this Christian language. And I think, you know, everybody's going to be familiar with Richard Rohr, right? He's like the gateway drug. <laughs> I feel like for people who yep. are deconstructing yep. um, for Christians. And I feel like they all were very um, helpful to me. And when I stumbled upon Meister Eckhart, because you know, it was like all the books, right? You, you feel like you're following the breadcrumbs in these books. It's like, okay, this person mentions Dark Night of the Soul. This other book starts, you know, mentions St. John of the Cross who wrote the Dark Night of the Soul. And then they also mentioned this guy. You start to kind of put it together. You know, I was reading all of these guys. And when I, when I read The Cloud of Unknowing and I got on this concept of unknowing what we think we know about God, I'm like, oh, that's what I did. I let go of everything that I thought I knew to be true about God. Then I had this, like my natural interest in like self-inquiry went to, I wonder if I can unknow myself. 
And for a while, I even had this idea of not saying anything about myself. Like people would say, I don't know. I remember one time my kids were joking around and they're like, oh, mom, are you going to have a YouTube channel? And I started to say, oh my God, I would never be on. I was like, you know what? Maybe I will. Because mm. I don't know myself. I don't like, I really don't know what I don't know. I mean, almost. And so I kind of took the concept of unknowing God, interpreted that as what I had done through deconstruction, and then took it further just because it's my personality into what does it look like to unknow myself? And that unknowing myself aspect and continuing to read, like led me to more of these teachers that you, you know, that you mentioned. It was the unknowing myself that took me further down that road of spirituality after deconstructing from my Christian faith. It's interesting to look back and see these little breadcrumbs pave the way because that question of who am I, a man that our listeners may have heard of, somewhat of a godfather in the some of the spiritual circles today, Ramana Maharshi, was really well known for stressing the importance of that question. Self-inquiry, right, is what it's called. But really sitting with it deeply, not saying, oh, well, I'm a I'm a parent. Um, I, I work as an accountant. Um, I, uh, I have this much money in my bank account. I'm a man. Um, like all those things, like not necessarily like personality, right? Not, not deconstructing our personality, but like really getting to the core of, of who, who is what's underneath all of that. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that has really shifted for me, that continual inquiry to say, well, who, who am I? So I'm curious your thoughts on that. And, and maybe, uh, you know, as we cut, cut short on time here, that's it. Maybe a great way to end this, this initial conversation is that question, you know, who am I and how do you find yourself? I don't know. I mean, what arises now when you ask that question, not that a, a, a textbook definition of, of how you think that we should answer that question, but what, what kind of things arise when you, when you do that inquiry now? So the first thing I'm going to say is I feel like this has got to be the next conversation or a topic, for, <laughs> a topic for another conversation. What yeah. I wanted can't be brief. Yeah, I, no, that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, we could go all night with this. Um, yeah. The thing as you were talking though that I was that I was thinking about was God when I landed on this question and I was. I felt like I had been given full permission to go into mm-hmm. self-inquiry. It was such a gift. I mean, I'm an Enneagram four or like the, who am I, I guess, part like, you know, that kind of fits right in there. Um, mm-hmm. But, and stereotypically like Enneagram fours really like to do this stuff, but it just, it felt like a gift. It felt like, I don't know, like, you know, whenever you have a dog on a leash and then you let them loose into the park. And they just like run around and are rolling in the grass and like sniffing flowers and peeing everywhere. Like they're so happy. That's how I felt whenever I got permission to fully go into self-inquiry, because I think mm-hmm. as, especially as Christians, anything that is looking more deeply at yourself 
is seen as sinful and selfish. It's like you're taught that you're, that you're supposed to, you know, put others above yourself and like love others. And you're supposed to worship God, like God is up there. And if you do this, like, if you do this self inquiry, you're in danger of self worship, right? Which is, you know, it's horrible sin. And so when I got, when I, when I landed on this question of like, you know, the most important thing that you could possibly ask yourself in this life is who am I? It was like that dog being let off the leash of like, finally, like I can do this without guilt. Mm -hmm. I can go as deep inside of myself as I want to without feeling guilty, without feeling like I'm sinning. And it's led me to just this utterly beautiful place where I'm like, oh, now I understand what it means to love myself. Now I understand what it means to love others. Like now I understand what it means to not live in a place of guilt and shame and clinging so much to everything. And so I think like that's maybe a good note to end on is we need to just like, let's go deeper into this question of who am I? But also I want to assure everybody, like it's a good question to ask and it's not selfish. It is actually one of the absolute best things that you can ever do for yourself is to really deeply dive into that question of who you are. Yeah. Know that it opens up like just this amazing, amazing space. So let's save, Mm. let's save more discussion on that for our next episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love it. And yeah, just to piggyback off that, uh, to end on that note, there is a lot of repressed shame and guilt of people that are, are are deconstructing because Mm -hmm. it's just, it's there. And so for anyone who needs to hear it, just know that you are perfectly good just the way that you are. There is nothing needed to make you better. And you have perfect, full permission to accept yourself for just who you are. Um, And you are accepted for just who you are. And any of those voices in your head that are telling you otherwise, it's not true. That's the one thing I know uh, that is not, that is not true. So, all right. Well, that is a good note to end on. So we'll we'll wrap it there. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll dive deeper into that question next time. Who am I? Who are we? (laughs) Awesome. Sounds good.